The Beat Church in Pflugerville, Texas. Bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free. Today we get to hear from Donnie and Courtney Snalem. Let's give them a hand. I just want to say uh, we've been talking about gratitude. And whenever I'm talking on a message series and I'm going to invite somebody to speak on it, it's not because I'm trying to just have a rotation. It's not like baseball where everybody has to bat. I try to pick someone. I said, you know what? These are people who live this out and that I have seen this in their life in good times and bad times and every time. And Donnie and Courtney have shown a heart of gratitude. I've seen them go through struggles and difficulties of health, of finances, of family things, all kinds of stuff. And yet, if you didn't know them, you wouldn't know they were going through that because they come with joy, they serve with a glad heart, they're grateful and thankful, and they live that out. So they have something to share with us that we can learn from, not just through God's word, which is the most powerful thing, and through his spirit, but also through their life experience of this is what we know and how we've applied it. So please listen, get notes out, take what they're doing in their life and put a little bit of it in your life and your gratefulness and your gratitude and your experience of life will definitely improve because I've seen it with my own eyes. I've known them a long time. Amen. Let's give Courtney a hand and listen, grab some notes. Hello. All right. So uh, have you guys heard about the man with seven kids and the man with seven million dollars and what the difference is between the two of them, how they're different? No? Well, the man with seven kids doesn't want any more. <laughs> I love that one, and just being grateful about what you have. And we've been talking about gratitude and generosity all month long, and it's been real. Haven't you guys been enjoying it and learning a lot? Yeah, it, it really has been awesome. We've been talking about gratitude that allows us to forgive and frees us from bitterness. And gratitude that changes our perspectives and helps us to see people and things in a way that we hadn't seen them before. Carrie shared with us some practical ways that we can live thankful and joyful, and that was really awesome because I love practical application and actionable steps, so that was really cool. And then last week, Pastor Andy challenged us to take an honest look at some of the obstacles that we put in our lives that prevent us from being grateful and then challenged us to surrender those things to Jesus. So we've learned so many great things about the what and the how of gratitude. So I am super excited today because I get to share with you guys one of the whys of gratitude. You know, why is really important because why is what lights a fire under each one of us that actually makes us carry out the what and the hows that we learn in life. Silas's band teacher is always talking about knowing your why, and he's challenging the kids, know your why, and he will, you know, pick on them in the room and say, what's your why, what's your why? He does this because he really understands the power of it, that when kids know their why, it actually changes the way that they practice and rehearse, but most importantly, it keeps them going when they want to give up, when things get too difficult, when life gets too hard, when the instrument is too hard to play, the why keeps them going. So my hope for all of us is that after these four weeks, that living thankfully is no longer just a saying on an embroidered pillow at your grandma's house, but an actual lifestyle that we live all year round 
and I'm going to offer you guys some whys today. Everything that God says and does, absolutely everything, has a purpose. We don't always get to know what that purpose is, and that is incredibly frustrating for me because I love to dissect things and look at them and examine them. I am driven by the reason for something. I'm driven by the why. We don't always get to know. Some of the strangest things that God instructed his people to do can be found in Old Testament laws regarding health and wellness and how he wanted the people of Israel to live out their lives. Yep. <laughs> uh, it's a little bit odd there. It's okay, though. Um, just Have you guys ever read through some of those things and just gone, what? What the heck? How many of you guys, you're reading through some of the Old Testament laws and you're like, why? This is so weird. Yeah, thank you. Exactly. All right, so we're going to give you a few examples here. All right, so Numbers 19 talks about the process if you touch a dead body. You're like, why is this important? So God says to his people, if you touch a dead body, you are considered to be unclean. So what it meant to be unclean for them is that they could not be around other people. They actually had to go into like a quarantine um, sometimes it meant even being outside of the city. They couldn't be around people. They couldn't be touched by other people, or else those people would be considered unclean. So nobody wanted to touch dead bodies because they didn't want to be unclean. But sometimes you had to if you were the doctor, if you were the people in charge of digging the graves, if you were the family member that was holding a loved one's hand as they passed away, and then you were marked as unclean. So the Bible laid out a quarantine period and a ceremony that you had to go to cleanse yourself. And it's really weird if you look at it. you got to take a cow's ashes and combine it with cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet wool. And scarlet wool was made from an insect that makes this red dye that they used in the scarlet wool. But if you put all those things under a microscope, what you discover is that that compound is actually a very powerful antifungal and antibacterial soap. They didn't know any of this. They were just doing what God asked them to do. And part of the ritual was they had to be sprinkled with it. Like the priest, you know, they'd go to the priest and the priest would like throw bits of it on them. The cedar wood is actually an irritant and it would cause them to rub the compound into themselves and then wash with water and rub it in and wash with water until the irritant was gone. So they didn't know it, but they were actually scrubbing away all of the disease and bacteria that kept uh, plagues and things from running rampant through their people. And all of the people outside of Israel, the other nations, kind of feared them because they thought they were being protected by mystic powers because none of them got sick. Like, they were sick all the time. They had epidemics wipe people out, but the children of Israel didn't. Why was it? Well. It, there's really easy scientific explanations for it. It's pretty cool. All right, so God says, circumcise your boys on the eighth day. Why the eighth day? That's so random. Well, after eight days of breast milk is when an infant's body has enough vitamin K in it to sustain an injury like circumcision and not bleed out and die. And then after eight days, more nerve endings develop on there that make the procedure even more painful than it is when they're eight days old. So today, boys are circumcised in the first or second day of their life, 
because we give them an injection of vitamin K before they have that procedure done so that their blood can actually clot. Women who were giving birth were considered to be unclean for seven to 14 days, depending on if they had a boy or a girl, and a purification period for 33 to 66 days after they were given birth. The mother who was given birth considered unclean. So she was considered unclean, and the midwife delivered the baby, midwife touched her. What did that make the midwife? Uh, that made the midwife unclean. So the midwife, before she could go on to touch another pregnant woman, had to go through the cleaning ceremony, had to wash herself with all of the antibiotics that they didn't know was antibiotics. They just thought it was you know, part of obeying God. And that helped prevent diseases spread from mother to mother during birth that uh, was killing children as they were born called newborn fever. And it wasn't even until the 1800s that some scientists discovered that, because that was still going on then, that this was happening because midwives weren't washing their hands in between deliveries. So they would deliver a baby and then go deliver another baby and deliver another baby and all those babies would get sick and die. But God set down a method to prevent all of that from happening. Now, here's one that I was always a little bit confused and as a female kind of irked by. If a woman gave birth to a son, she was unclean for seven days and had a purification period of 33 days. But if she gave birth to a female, she was unclean <coughs> for uh, 14 days and had a purification period of 66 days. And I always thought, you know, that kind of sucks. It's kind of like punishing the woman because she's unclean and it's bad to be unclean for giving birth to a female, you know, why? That's kind of chauvinistic, doesn't it seem? But it's actually not because we know through science that females are typically born with a lower birth rate and a higher infant mortality rate than male babies are. So spending more time in seclusion away from all of the sicknesses of the community, away from the church and the marketplace and the city and all the family that would want to come over and kiss the baby and spread the germs, it left girls a longer amount of time to get healthy, to build body fat, to get immunities from the breast milk before they were introduced to society. So it was actually an incredible designer having a way to protect these female babies by requiring them to be in seclusion from the community longer, which is so cool. I love this kind of stuff, and I could actually spend all day talking about all of the countless examples where modern science shows us how a loving God, who's the designer of our bodies, actually created a manual for his people to function at their best. And this was before there was ever a lab, or a microscope, or a GNC, or our keychain Purell, so it's pretty cool. But today, we're gonna put gratitude under the microscope, which I'm so excited about. And we're gonna use science to discover why God calls us to live in this mindset. So gratitude kind of gets a, a rap, not a bad rap, it's a good rap, but it has a rap as being solely a character issue. So how many of your guys' parents made you sit down and write a thank you card to grandma for the money that came in your birthday card. Yeah, you all did that? Okay. How many parents in here have had their children complain about the one thing that they can't have 
when you could literally think of a thousand things that they should be grateful for. And you're like, and one of those things should be that I'm not strangling you right now, right? Yeah, not that I would ever think that of my kids. So why, yeah, why do we do that? Why is that important? Well, it's because we want them to have good character. And we want the giver to know that they're appreciated. We want our kids and we want ourselves to be considerate, kind, generous, grateful people. And that's good. But there's so much more to it than that. So we're going to look at some of the incredible ways that something so simple can be a big impact in all the areas of your life. So Berkeley University did a study on the effects of gratitude journaling for at-risk students seeking treatment for mental health on campus. This study came about because they had looked at all of the other studies on gratitude and couldn't find studies that weren't done on uh, people that weren't mentally healthy, stable, well-adjusted people. And so they sought out to see if they could replicate the same good results that they were finding all over in research on mentally healthy people practicing gratitude. They wanted to see if they could emulate those in people that were not mentally healthy or stable. And they were so pleased that by the end of the 12-week study, the students who had incorporated gratitude journaling improved in every area of their life, not just mentally, and that was lining up with what the past studies had shown for the same practices happening in well-adjusted subjects. Part of their study included having students think grateful thoughts while receiving an MRI to see gratitude's effects on the brain. And here's what they found. But before I share their findings, I have to put the uh, right kind of outfit on. There we go. Are you guys ready to get super nerdy with me? Yes. We're going to get really nerdy here. If you're new to our church, we love props here. We're actually going to change our name from the Beat Church to the Prop Church. All right. I'm, I'm just kidding. That's, that's not going to happen. All right. Maybe. Andy's like, hmm, new ideas. All right. So... During a thankful thought, the part of the brain called the hypothalamus, which is in the very like middle lower of your brain right here, actually lights up like crazy. Uh, yeah, good, you got that up there. So this part of your brain is the size of an almond. So everybody make fingers that looks like what like an almond would be. Okay, think about a part of your brain that is this big controlling all of these things that are up here. It is... Uh, let me see here. Okay, yeah. So it is the uh, connector between the endocrine system and the nervous system. So what that means is it communicates with all your nerves. All your nerves send uh, messages about what your body is feeling and needing and going through to this part of your brain, and then it disperses hormones and things that you need accordingly. So it's really, really important. It controls some functions like sleep, growth, metabolism, your pituitary, your thyroid, and a whole host of other hormones. Gratitude causes us to sleep faster and our quality of sleep to increase, which causes depression and anxiety to be reduced, blood pressure to go down, children grow taller, new neuropathways are created, more muscle tissue and damaged cells are repaired, 
and you have an increase in memory, learning, and focus. Gratitude activates the pituitary gland, causing stress relief. Married folks, it causes an increase in your sex life. It does. Hey, I can say that, I'm a doctor. Causes women to have milk production, it increases fertility, releases endorphins, and helps with pain relief. It also controls the thyroid, which manages your weight and your body's ability to regulate temperature. All right, go ahead to the next slide. Gratitude releases oxytocin and dopamine. Dopamine is your brain's reward neurotransmitter. It makes you want to do the thing that causes its release. Again, kind of like treat training a dog. It's actually how addictions are formed because drugs cause your brain to release dopamine too. That's why people do them. It makes you feel good. So you can literally become addicted to being grateful. And that's not a bad thing. That's God's design. Go ahead to the next one. That is why there are so many passages all throughout the Bible challenging us to live this way because the designer meant it for our good, especially when things don't feel very good or aren't very happy at all. 1 Thessalonians 5.8, you got that? Thanks. It says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You know, I've heard a lot of people over the years talk about God's call to gratitude in the midst of tragedy and sadness. Um, kind of look at it like a cruel dictator setting unrealistic expectations with no regards for what we're actually thinking or feeling in that moment. And they've looked at those that have to make the really hard choice to be grateful, almost like battered wives just trying to please their deity in the midst of their heartbreak and not being able to really think or feel for themselves. You know, how can we possibly grateful when that loved one that we prayed for so much and we contended for their healing ends up dying and doesn't get healed? Or how could we possibly grateful when the bank takes the roof from over our children's heads and they have to live homeless on the street. How could we possibly be grateful in the midst of all that? But when we know the why behind gratitude, and when we see how it actually affects our body, our soul, our emotions, and our health, then you can see how God's call to gratitude in the midst of some of life's worst circumstances is actually an incredible act of love. It's like a protective parent he provides a delivery system for an alleviating ointment that carries us through pain and brokenness and soothes and heals us. It's because of love that Ephesians 5.8 says, give thanks always and for everything. And it's because of love that Psalm 50.23 says, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. And it's because of love that Philippians 4.8 tells us to surrender all of our anxieties over to him with thanksgiving. So Donnie's going to come up next and share our story with you. You can come on up. 
It's a story of Thanksgiving in times when to the outside world it didn't look like there was a whole lot to be thankful for, but really God was so good and amazing through it all. All right, Donnie. Looking Thank to you see guys. What other props you have? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, let me get this thing switched over real quick here. So, how many people enjoyed that? Come on now. <laughs> I love when Courtney speaks because there's just such an eloquence yet a conviction behind everything she says, and you just you get forced to listen because it's so good, you know. And then she whips out props, and I decided I decided to be my own prop today. Um, so this is my prop, and uh, you know, like Courtney said, I'm going to be kind of walking us through our past from when we first got married up until today. And, you know, when Andy asked us to talk about this, you know, I started to, I just started to think back over the years of all the things that God had done, you know, from ever since that very first day we got married up until today. And it just blew my mind of all the itty bitty little things that God did along the way. And sometimes we sit there and we go, oh, wait, I did that and I did this and I did that. And it's like, nope. All these little things that we're going to talk about today, there was no way we could have done it. And so, anyway, some of you know us, you know, I'm stuck on stage all the time. So if you're new, I apologize for not getting to meet you. Um, my wife and I, we've been married for 16 and a half years. We have four kids, uh, three that are our, our biological, one that we adopted in and brought in. And we have had a wild ride with Jesus. <laughs> Let me tell you, it's been one of those adventures that you read in a book and you're like, oh, my gosh, I wish I could be on that adventure. That'd be so cool. And and, you know, and then when you live it, you're like, oh, my gosh, I want to get off of this train because this train is wild and crazy. But we have to trust that God knows what he's doing. And that's that, you know. So there's a few verses I have. I don't know if Josh has got it ready because we had to switch screens. Oh, look at that. I love you. All right, Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Go ahead and hit the next one. Matthew 4, 19. It says, come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And then the last one, John 10, 27. It says, for my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And let's pray real quick. Father, we just thank you so much for everything that you're doing today and everything that you want to do. And God, we just ask that you would open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts just to receive from you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So a couple weeks ago, I'm going over notes for this thing, and, and I have this thought that just kind of comes in my head. Have you guys ever had that? You're just thinking about stuff, and all of a sudden just a thought gets stuck and you cannot get rid of it, okay? And I was thinking about this whole message and everything, and, and I got this thought, and it says, when you have attitude of gratitude, God changes the altitude of where you are going. And, you know, I read these verses here. You know, it's talking about having a hope. It's talking about having a future, having a plan, saying, follow me, and if you hear my voice, you'll follow me. And nowhere in any of these verses does it say it's going to be easy. Nowhere in the Bible does it ever say, follow me, and life is going to be a piece of cake. 
There's nowhere in the Bible where it says, follow me and you will be like Julia Andrews on in that one show. What's it called? Sound of Music. Thank you. And she's just like this going. Life will never be that way because it's never easy. But the cool thing is, is that it's always going to be amazing. You know, sometimes we look at the now, we look at where we are right now in this very moment. And sometimes it's like, I cannot get through what I'm going through. But if we look to the past of where we've been to where we are now, we can say, but God took me from there and brought me to here. And if he has a plan for me for over there, I know I can trust him to get me there. So to our story, kind of going on, and I look at the time like, oh, we're going away. All right, so we've been married. We got married really, really young, okay? We, and just like everybody, we had a five-year plan. Someone say five-year plan. All right, so our five-year plan was to have Courtney get into Bible college, get a bachelor's degree, because we thought a bachelor's degree in theology made a lot of money back in the day. It doesn't. Um, And then she was going to start working, and then I was going to go to school. Again, we're married young. Three months after we're married, Courtney comes out of the bathroom. Donnie, I'm pregnant. (laughs) Oh, okay. You know, I put on my smile, my my everything's okay face, and inside I'm just like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I'm freaking out. I don't have any money. I don't have any kids. I don't have a college degree. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't live in a house. We live in an apartment. I start freaking out. Then I bring it back and say, okay, cool. It's all right. It's, it's going to be okay. Samuel's born a year later. So we had April 5th, 2004 was our one-year anniversary. April 6th, 2004, Samuel's born. 13 months later, Silas comes out. So now we've been married for two years and one month. We have two kids. And then some reason we could not figure out how not to have kids. And two and a half years after that, Adelie's born. Now, I don't know about you, but it is hard to go to college when you're pregnant for practically three years, four years, and not be sick and be able to do homework. So Courtney made it six months in Bible college, and she was so sick with Samuel. You know, she, we were like, dude, you can't stay. You got to be home. So our plan changed. We had a plan set what we were going to do. God had a different plan in store, a different thing in mind. You know, and I worked at Papa Murphy's. I was an opener, and I made a whole bunch of money. Not really. And I worked my way up to be a manager at the store, and I swear I made more money opening, but that's a different story. And so we're living on a Papa Murphy's salary. I start working with my brother doing drywall on the weekends and still can't make ends meet. But God somehow made a way for us to pay our bills, to pay our rent, to do everything else. And we had this attitude of gratitude because we understood it was coming from God because we knew (laughs) we weren't producing the money. We didn't make enough, but somehow everything was always provided. There was always food for the kids. There was always bills getting paid. And it seemed like we always just had enough to go overdrawn by like 10 cents and then get a $34 late fee. 
And then the next month, you're like, great, I made another 35 bucks to cover that fee. And then you miss it by 10 cents, and you got another late fee. And, you know, that's just the way things were. It wasn't because we were bad with our money. It's just we didn't have any money, and we had too many bills. <laughs> that was the problem. You know, so we decide that we need a bigger house. We got to get out of this apartment, and we lived in a smaller house when Adelie was born. And my wife loved brick houses. And back in Vancouver, Washington, there wasn't many brick houses unless they were super old. And this one was the coolest-looking house. It was a big 1,850-square-foot rancher, had oak floors. And, I mean, it was gorgeous on the outside and the inside. We did some work in the bathroom. And we're like, you know, we can live here. This will be cool. My wife's getting the house that she wants. I'm happy. She's happy. Kids have room. We're on an acre. They can play around. There's only one problem with this house. It came with pets. And these pets were little critters that had long tails that made their nests in all of the walls. And in the kitchen especially, they had trails that would go through the drywall into the cabinets. They chewed their own holes through drywall apparently. And these cabinets, we couldn't put our silverware in the cabinets because there was mouse poop in them every single day. I've got three little kids. I've got a wife. We're still really young. We have the brick house of our dream, and now we have pets. We buy a cat. The cat was crazy. The cat didn't do a good enough job. So we call an exterminator, and we said, all right, set up the traps. Do what you got to do. He takes one look at this house. And he laughed. I remember this. He laughed, and he goes, I'm sorry. There is absolutely nothing I can do for you because this is over-infested. And so I go from this super excited about this house to now fearing for my life's, my kid's life. You know, we couldn't use our silverware. We had to put it in plastic bags and put it on top of the microwave. We couldn't use our plates because there was poop on them all the time. So we had to buy paper plates and paper bowls and plastic cups. And again, we didn't make much money. So that put us in debt even more <laughs> from all the plastic. We were very eco-friendly then because we had to be. Um, not really because we had nothing but paper and plastic that we were using and throwing away. So all of that crazy stuff going on. Yet we still plugged into God. We didn't blame him for any of it. And then at church, they make an announcement that there's a church plant team moving to Spokane, Washington. And my wife and I are like, you know, kind of jumping up and down inside. You know, sometimes when you feel God talking to you, how you get that overwhelming joy that kind of comes when somebody says, hey, there's a church plant team. And some people are like, oh, heck no, I ain't doing that. And then some of us are wild and crazy enough to say, oh, my gosh, that sounds perfect. Let's do it. So we pray about it. We say, yeah, let's do it. And I start sending out resumes. Not one phone call. And my wife, who is the stay-at-home mom, who has worked at Seas Candy, who's worked at, at Subway, and had done a little bit of work for the apartment community, says, I'm going to throw out a resume. And I remember looking at her, I'm like, you are flipping crazy. You're not going to be able to get it. You know, I'm sitting there, I never told her this because I wanted to keep my life. I was like, you are flipping crazy. There is no way you're going to get a job. Two days later, we get a phone call from an apartment community in Spokane, and they are so excited and crazy about her because she has a specific training that she went through when she was doing apartments. 
And they're like, we need you. Come to Spokane. We want to do an interview here in our office. And she got off the phone and started. She was happy and crying at the same time. And the reason why was since she's been a stay-at-home mom for so long, she didn't have an interview outfit to wear. We didn't have gas money to drive to Spokane. Spokane was 368 miles away. We had to drive there, drive back. We didn't have money to do it. So at the, for a moment, we were like, what are we going to do? So we did what we always did. We said, all right, we got to pray. And then we're like, well, we don't have a place to stay. We've got to at least spend the night over there. So we're doing the math in our head. We're like, outfit, gas there and back, place to stay. God, you got to do something. Two days later, someone comes up to Courtney and says, hey, I got money for you that I want you to go buy an outfit for. So she has an outfit now. Still don't have money to go. But then somebody comes up and says, hey, I want to pay for your gas money so you can go there and come back. And then somebody says, hey, I'm living in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, which is only 40 miles past where you're going. You can spend the night here and get up early and drive into Spokane. And we got so excited. We had an attitude of gratitude because God started opening a door for the next adventure we had. So we get to Spokane, and this is the coolest part of the story. We get to Spokane, and Courtney's going up for the interview, and I am wearing an inside-out sweater. It was black. I remember as, as soon as I started thinking about this, the whole apparel came back to me. And that doesn't happen because I'm normally dressed like this. I'm wearing a inside-out sweater with sweatpants and holding my portable DVD player, sitting in the car because I'm the good husband, driving her to her interview. And, I'm, you know, for you that don't know what a portable DVD player is, which is probably most of the back back here and over here, before iTunes, before iPhone, before iPad, before MP3s, we had this little thing that you would put a DVD in, and it had a little screen like this, and as long as your disc wasn't scratched, you could watch a movie. If it had the tiniest little thumbprint, the thing skipped like crazy, and then you would throw it across the room. So I'm watching a movie. I don't even remember what movie it was. It was a good movie, obviously, because I picked it. And all of a sudden, this old lady comes down and starts knocking on the window of my car. And I'm like, she's like, um, are you Donnie? I'm like, yep. <laughs> you know, she goes, I want you to come inside. Doesn't tell me why. And so I'm like, oh, cool. Must be giving me coffee or something because I'm sitting out here. I get upstairs to where they're interviewing her and they say, hey, we're looking for a handyman. And we need somebody. And we want you. My wife turns in one resume and lands a job for both of us. Not only that, but they say, you know what? Also, on top of your salary, we're going to give you a brand new, never lived in two-bedroom apartment. And so we get, we're like, oh, great, sounds good. And in the back of our mind, we're like, yeah, right. We just, we just had the house of our dreams, and that wasn't really a dream. That was a nightmare. So we get our stuff packed up. We get moved out here. And all of a sudden, we walk into this place. And I kid you not, the carpet still smelled like brand new carpet. There's only been like two or three people that have walked on this carpet. The cabinets were brand new. We opened every single cabinet and looked in every single thing, making sure there was no extra holes. 
you know, and we look at this place, and we literally thought it was a mansion because of what we went through to what we had. God blessed us. This place was only 600 square feet. We go from 1,800 square feet of tons of room and horrible living environment to 600 square feet with three kids and two of us, and we thought we lived in a mansion. Why? Because we had an attitude of gratitude, and God changed the altitude to where we were going. We had a look on life that was beyond reason. We looked and said, God, you had us walk through all of this for a reason. There was a purpose. There was a plan. And the reason why was because the people we met were hurting, were broke, were confused, and needed help. And if you've never been through that stuff, it's kind of hard to help somebody through that. You know, so we live in Spokane for 10 years and we helped raise up a youth group. We helped raise up a worship team, got the church going. And then we plugged into another church, started leading house groups and or not house groups, commu- um, rooted groups, which is like our community groups here. And things were going amazing. This church was of like 5000 people. And we were like, worship was off the hook, and I didn't have to lead every week. It was so amazing. And then we get a phone call from Andy and Carrie. And Andy and Carrie go, hey, we want you guys to come down with us. What do you think? And we're like, nope. And then Carrie, being the way she is, decides to have a birthday party down here. And so a lot of women came down on this trip, and Courtney comes down, and Courtney comes back, and she goes, now, I'm not going to tell you we're moving. It is really nice, but we do need to at least pray about this. You know, because we were like, dude, we're set up at Life Center. Things are going great. I don't want to leave this church. And then we start praying, and God starts directing our way again. Long story short, we say yes, we move down here. And that whole process of us getting here was crazy in itself. I got three minutes. I can give you the one-minute version of it. We decide, all right, I'm sending resumes out again. Nothing happens. We're told the only way you get a job in Texas is if you live in Texas, in my field. So we're like, okay, great. I move down here. My wife and I say, April 16th, I'm leaving no matter what. You're leaving the day after school starts or school ends, no matter what. If we have the money, if we don't have the money, God told us to do it, we're going to go do it. I get in the car, and two days actually before the trip, we don't have the money for me to drive here. But her uncle has a truck that's a piece of junk. And he just tells us, hey, just sell the thing, you keep the money. I was like, it's going to take me three weeks to sell this thing because it's just rusted everywhere. A guy is like, I'll pay you 700 bucks for that truck. <laughs> Sold. Cost me exactly $700 to get here and get established. She starts driving down in, in June. I don't have my job lined up yet 100%. I don't have a house to live in yet. I've been Ubering 16 hours a day, and all of that money went to paying our bills so that she could sustain in Spokane, and I'm not coming up with a down payment and everything and carry and And Heidi, you're looking at me like, you are freaking crazy. What's going on? And I kept telling Carrie, I said, either God is going to do something amazing or I'm not supposed to be here. 
or, or we were going to move in with you. And that would have been crazy. So, but what happens? The week that Courtney starts driving, I get a job, get a letter of, of saying, yep, we're hiring you for this much. The house that we wanted automatically came open, and we were able to get the house. They pull in at 11 o'clock at night, and then as soon as they pull in, the very next morning, we're able to move into the house. You know, and you can't tell me that God, when he has a plan, sometimes it stresses you out to the core. But it's because he wants to make sure that you know that it's him doing the work. You know, and some of you here, you're just like me. And to be completely honest, I started breaking into this thing two weeks ago. And God is opening things up that I didn't even think about. And I was so emotionally raw this last week. I tell you what, my wife knows. I, I called her breaking down crying. I was like, I am so sorry for this, this, and this that happened that many years ago. And it was so crazy because all of a sudden there was this attitude of gratitude for every little thing that God had done. You know, and there's some of you here that, you know, you're stuck in a past and you need to let it go. You get stuck in the past, and there is no attitude of gratitude when you're stuck and holding on to something that happened to you in the past. When you hold on to that thing, it is the opposite of gratitude. It's, it's exactly what Courtney was saying about the whole, um, when there's no gratitude, you, the depression and the anxiety builds up and everything else. There's some of you also here, and I'm speeding this up real quick. Some of you here also that are looking at your circumstances and not knowing if you can trust him with everything. And the last thing here is there are some of you here that you just need a little push to start your wild adventure with Jesus. Josh, can you throw that verse, that Jeremiah up again? I want everybody, I want you guys to stand with me and we're going to say this verse a little different. Instead of saying you, I want you to say me. It says, for I know the plans I have for me. Okay, that didn't work there. For you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper me, not to harm me. Plans to give me a hope and a future. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Some of you think, yeah, but my circumstances, my situations that I'm going through, there is no way I can get out of these things. I'm too deep in the hole, and I can't get out. And God wants to tell you simply, all you got to do is trust him. We read that verse earlier that said, come to me, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Andrew, Peter, James, John, these four guys were fishermen their whole life. And Jesus walks up to him and says these words, and they dropped everything and, and followed him. So there was something about Jesus that they grabbed onto, that they grabbed hold of, and their life was never the same again. Courtney and I have been through all of this. It's been crazy. But you know, when you have an attitude of gratitude, God will change the altitude to where you're going to go. And so, Courtney, come on up. You're going to close this out with your cards. Where'd she go? Oh, there she is. She's passing stuff out. You got, oh, you got your card. 
Awesome. Okay. Well, uh, in addition to our love of props here, we also love to put into practice what we hear on Sunday mornings. Oftentimes, Andy has us writing things out or breaking into small groups and sharing and praying with one another. So, oh, thank you, Jesse. So we're going to do something a little bit different today. Um, We have thank you cards for you guys to just take a quick second and look at something over your life that you want to thank somebody for. And you can write this to God if you want, or you can write this to a person, or you can just make a list in it of all the things that you're thankful for and keep it so that when times get tough, you can take it out and look over it and read it to help you recenter and get perspective again. But um, just being in that gratitude mindset is so important. So this is going to be something that we can actually all do together right now. So just take a minute, think about something that you're grateful for or a person that you're grateful to, and go ahead and write it out. If you are writing this to an actual person, I want to encourage you to take another step and find a way to give it to them. Mail it to them, hand it to them, um, something like that, because that will bless them a lot too. And thank you guys so much for being here today. We're going to put on some music while those are getting passed around. So we're going to take like just a couple minutes to do that. And then Andy will dismiss us. Visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com give.